Welcome in everyone to the 52nd episode of the Deep Dive Dynasty podcast. That of course means our one year anniversary. Good evening. We are your hosts, Toby and Colin. Toby, how has your week been? Pretty fantastic. Every day is one day closer to draft day, baby. Yeah, we're definitely getting close. We only have this and one other of our Rookie Spotlight series, which of course is continuing today. We are doing our final episode that is covering the running back position, and we are also finally getting to most people's consensus RB1, Najee Harris. We are also going to be talking about Jarrett Patterson and Khalil Herbert. So three guys that I'm excited about. They all have enough in their prospect profile that excites me that if they find the right landing spot, they're going to be very solid for fantasy. As always, make sure you follow us on Twitter at Deep Dive Dynasty to keep up with everything we've got going on there. Toby, get it started. It's about time. Talk to me about your opinions on Najee Harris. Najee Harris is the most rounded running back of his class. Najee Harris is going to break tackles. He's going to have good vision, find good gaps to break in the offensive line. He's going to be able to catch the ball. And do you hear him on uh, his most recent podcast, the comments he made to Todd McShay? Basically, an ESPN analyst said, you know what? He doesn't have that many receiving yards. To which Najee Harris responded with, kiss my ass. Yeah, I did. He said, watch the tape. Don't look at the stats. And you can kind of watch the tape more like it is stats. And that's why people love Najee Harris so much. For me, yes, he's my number one. I cannot go against the grain and say that he is not because in many respects, he's the most exciting running back prospect that's going to be part of the 2021 draft. I'm very interested to see just how high he can go. I would say his, not his true breakout season, but his most exciting is the most recent one to date on Alabama with Mac Jones catching dump off passes and just being able to finish and get in the end zone unlike any other running back we've talked about. This man runs angry. He has a will to get himself across the goal line that is translated into immense game impact. He's a player that has come up clutch time and time again, and when they're winning, is seemingly impossible to bring down even when you got two guys on him. So Najee Harris just overall is a fantastic and special athlete. I will say that after looking up consensus rankings that I would rank him and Travis Etienne closer together than most, I would say. Um, you know, you have a few contentious picks that have Etienne over Najee Harris. Some and, people, yeah. And some people even have Javante Williams number one. Right. I, I wouldn't go that far. I would say that to me, Najee Harris and Travis Etienne, they are different backs with different skill sets, but in terms of overall dynasty ranking i have them extremely close with Najee harris only a few hairs ahead and the one knock against Najee harris would be his speed in terms of he doesn't have these multiple gears that he's going to beat you with speed changes and hit you with this huge burst and just scorch you long down the field which yes he still has some large runs but to an extent that's true that's fair But from a running back, you don't need elite speed all the time to be a fantastic dynasty asset. And he is the speed to be what it takes. I think he'll be first running back off the board in the NFL draft. And if you've got that pick and you want to spend it on him, all the power to you. The only reason I would suggest taking against him is if you think people are much lower on ETN in your league and you can get ETN for better value then it probably would, but can't argue against the man. Najee Harris, he's the one-on-one for the reason of 
He's a dynamic athlete that is well-rounded, that is going to score touchdowns, that is going to come into the NFL and immediately demand touches. Mm -hmm. So I was thinking about this when we were talking about the Trevor Lawrence episode just a couple weeks ago. I was talking about the difference between one and two for me. And I would be very willing to move in a super flex draft from the first pick to the second pick so I can take Fields instead of Lawrence and also pick up significant value for making that move because I don't see that big of a difference between those two. When I'm looking at my running back rankings, I disagree. I think there's a chasm between Najee Harris and Travis Etienne and the rest of the group. I am much more into Najee Harris. I think he is the clear outright number one. So in that sense, we agree, even though our rankings specifically won't have a huge difference. Maybe the tiers would, but the actual numbers will be the same of one, two, three is what it seems like. I, though, would be willing to trade up to take Harris instead of Etienne. I would need a huge amount of value to go down where I'm switching from my pick of being Harris to being Etienne. And I think there's a solid amount of reasons why. Harris does have a couple of issues, and his top-end speed is a part of it. I think if you were to give him Jonathan Taylor speed, he would have been insanely hyped as a prospect. Yes. And then the second one is the fact that he is coming out as a senior, and he's 23 years old. Mm -hmm. If you saw him, one, if he was a little bit faster, and if he did come out last year, which I think he probably should have, although there is an argument that could go either way, because... Last year, he had significant running back competition in the draft. This year, I think he's the clear number one. So maybe he actually did make a good decision here. But either way, if he came out a bit younger and if he had that insane top-end speed, he would be up there with the very high-end running backs we've seen in the past, like a Saquon, like a Christian McCaffrey, Zeke, Fournette, these type of guys that went early in the first and were super hyped up. Everything besides his age and his speed, that's how I see Najee Harris. I really like the player. I love the power he has when he needs it. I love the contact balance and the ability to spin and break through Mm -hmm. many tackles and get a lot of yards after contact. I like that the main reason it seems he went back to college this year, although maybe it also was to win a national championship, which he (laughs) succeeded in. He proved that he could be used in the passing game, and I think that the top three in this draft really do seem like the only three that could be a full-on three-down back, and you could see them on the field at all times, which is, of course, fantasy gold. That's what you need to be a complete top-end asset. Najee Harris really shows that ability throughout this 2020 season. He's had four years of production, obviously, as a senior, and... He really hasn't dealt with a lot of injuries through that time. In his first two seasons, he wasn't the clear lead back. He had Mm -hmm. 61 rushing attempts and then 117 in his first two seasons. But then, of course, last year, 2019, he was the clear guy now that both Damian Harris and Josh Jacobs had left the team at Alabama. And so in 2019, in his breakout season, he had 209 rushing attempts for 1,224 yards which is 5.9 yards per carry, 20 touchdowns on the ground, and then he had 27 receptions for 304 yards in the air, which is honestly solid in college. I didn't think looking at his tape last year because actually he was one of three players I watched last year because I thought he was going to come out in last offseason. I didn't think that his receiving game really needed to be proven, but Mm -hmm. 
there was some talks about that was one of the main reasons he went back to college is he wanted to show NFL teams that he can really be used in that game, and he did up his production quite significantly. In 2020, over 13 games again, he had 251 rushing attempts, so he upped that number, was used quite a bit more, kept the yards per carry right around the same with 1,466 yards, and he scored 30 touchdowns over those 13 games. Then in the receiving game, he had 43 receptions on 57 targets, so a pretty good catch rate of 425 yards. So he was used much more. He had 13.4% target share, very solid. Some of his other metrics, his college dominator rating was in the 71st percentile. His target share as a running back was in the 89th percentile. Everything was really solid. And of course, when you're looking at his target share and his dominator rating, that is in relation to the rest of his team. And we're talking about Alabama. There is, of course, tons of other good players that he's competing with for not only targets, but just production and yards. You had a Heisman winning wide receiver on this team, and he still put up very good relative numbers to his team. He was the focal point of this offense and really excelled. He's 6'1", 232 pounds, and as I already mentioned, 23.1 years of age. He's got good size, he's got good power, he's got a great production profile, but it's really the tape that makes me so confident that he is my number one over someone like ETN. Of course he has better speed, but more issues in his lateral quickness, his ability to make cuts and turns, his vision, and all those little details that once you hit the NFL and you don't have a dominant O-line and a dominant offense that obviously both of these players did at Clemson and Alabama, mm -hmm. You need to be able to create more yourself. And where I see ETN as that guy who would find a big hole and he would explode through it and run in a straight line like crazy and he's super fast and all that, Najee Harris created a lot more himself. Also, when I'm making this comparison, ETN weighed in a lot higher than he actually played at. Both of these guys didn't fully test. I don't think that's a huge surprise. Sure. ETN didn't want to do a lot of lateral drills, and Najee Harris didn't want to do a 40 time because those two metrics for each guy wasn't going to help their drafts. No. Najee Harris doesn't have the straight line speed, but other than that, he has everything that I am looking for. I wrote in my notes looking at his tape that he's surprisingly shifty, his jump cut is very good, and he makes defenders miss all the time. Mm -hmm. He has impressive vision, was obviously behind a good O-line at Alabama, and it opened up a lot of holes for him, but he was intelligent in when to break away from the script and create things on his own. He was good at finding the right hole to burst through. He didn't test, and I don't know if you actually heard this story, but Harris had a plane canceled. He was across the country somewhere, and he drove like 15 hours through the night so he could go to Alabama's Pro Day just so that he couldn't test and he could support his teammates. Stuff like that does matter to NFL teams. Yeah. By all accounts, he's a good dude who is impressing in all of his interviews and everything mm -hmm. like that. So he is one of the few players. I think it's pretty much just him or ETN who has that chance yeah. of being a first-round pick. It is possible. Harris has a better chance being a first-round pick, I think. I would do that as a GM. I have seen a little bit of the NFL draft community seems higher on ETN than the fantasy community is, so okay. it's hard to know for sure. But, uh, you know, we got a Pittsburgh fan here. There's yep. absolutely a chance that so Pittsburgh... So many rumors about 
Najee to Pittsburgh. It's possible. There's a couple other places too. I think that Miami still could. There is absolutely landing spots that could go for one of these guys and could just really lock them into the production that we're all looking for as a rookie and would shoot them to the top of everyone's rookie rankings. In the receiving game, as I said, he is a pretty prolific receiver. He has Mm -hmm. good hands. I think his only drops were more concentration drops. The actual ability of his hands in securing the ball, as long as he has an insane amount of focus on those, he won't make any drops. He can make very impressive catches at times, too. In in the rare times that he was running routes that were more downfield, he could jump up and make some pretty impressive (laughs) catches. Also, this is a side note. I didn't write this in my notes. I love when he hurdles people. He seems to oh, do it a lot. He loves it. It just It's impressive. <laughs> I know it's not necessarily something that you want your running back doing. It's just really fun and I love it. He picks the right times to do it. Yeah, he, he does. He somehow can see the defender coming in too low and he's like, oh, I got this guy. Just something I love. He also, and this is something that's very important to NFL coaches, he fumbled three times in his entire college career and Crazy. lost only one fumble. Crazy. No fumble issues at all. He isn't necessarily the most prolific route runner, but he shows everything you want in the receiving game. He shows me everything I want as a rusher. I think he will be a three down back. I am hoping that a team like Pittsburgh takes him first or second round because I know he can be locked in on all three downs and be one of those top end guys. I could see him as a Dalvin Cook type player where he doesn't leave the field much and he is constantly producing. That's the way I view him at the NFL. I just want him to be in the role where I know he has the path to be on the field at almost all times because I think he can excel in that role. Yeah, That's my pitch for him. I love him. But let's move on to a couple of guys who are definitely going to be lower in everyone's rankings. They're going to be taken much later in the NFL drafts. Let's start it off with someone who did produce at a similar or even better level in college. Let's talk about Jarrett Patterson. Jarrett Patterson. Really quickly, when you say better, he was not in the same SEC. Of course, of course. So, in terms of production, Jarrett Patterson is relatively off the charts. When he got the ball, he was excelling. He was exceeding, and he was getting in the end zone. I'll let you speak to the specifics, but Jarrett Patterson has what it takes to succeed at the college level, and what Every NFL GM is thinking is, does he actually have what it takes to succeed at the NFL level? When making the comparison, I found it very easy to reach for James Conner Light. I feel like they're extremely similar players. They also have like similar mannerisms in how they run. Neither has an impressive top end speed or multiple gears while they are running. So he's he's never going to blow you away with a crazy sprint. But relatively shifty, really good at avoiding arm tackles. And he has this unique ability to create one or two extra yards, not just by falling forwards or bowling people over, but almost falling to the side. So that very much impressed me. And I think his peak is what James Conner was two years ago, when he comes in as essentially kind of a nobody Mm -hmm. and is able to get in and produce, despite his athletic measurables not going to be able to match up to Najee Harris. Did you see his pro day statistics? Mm-hmm. There's nothing shameful about them. They're solid. You know, by okay. by any respect. He's not going to put up Etienne or Harris numbers. No. In spite of that. If he is drafted in round five or six, he is a huge uphill battle to fight. 
because he does not have a crazy X factor that's going to elevate him above a Chase Edmonds, you know? Mm-hmm. If he ends up going in the third round and a team reaches on him and he's put in as a complementary role, then I'm much more interested in him. My number one knock against him is that I don't think he will be drafted high. He is lacking an X factor. He lacks a top end speed. He lacks an overall size advantage. Really, unlike other guys where you watch their tape and they really flash, it's his statistics that are so fiery which is a very interesting prospect to analyze because I watch him on tape and I don't see an unbelievably special athlete. His consistency is evident, but it's his statistics alone. So it really depends where he's going to go for me more than anyone else. But in terms of, if you want to try and contextualize who he is, he runs like James Conner. He sees holes, he hits them. He's not doing anything crazy flashy, still relatively shifty. And he's getting his head into the end zone as soon as possible. Just like James Conner, he has his caps. Not injury stuff, different stuff. You know, mm-hmm. they're not perfect parallels. But Jarrett Patterson, for me, is ranked as one of our lower tier running backs that we've been speaking about. Not because he's bad, he puts up solid numbers, but just because I worry as not just an NFL GM, but a person who watches NFL GMs, he's not going to go very early in the draft. He's going to struggle to get touches on the field. And when he gets on the field, he needs to make extremely good use of the ones he gets. Yeah. So speaking, first of all, to your comparison, my biggest issue with Jarrett Patterson is that James Conner has 35 pounds on him. Yeah. He's a bit taller. It is very rare to find a running back that isn't used as a receiver, isn't super explosive, Mm -hmm. and isn't super big. If you don't have any of those things... It's just hard to excel at the NFL level. It's hard to make a significant impact, and even more so, it's hard to make a fantasy impact. I think he could absolutely be that fourth, fifth, sixth round backup that turns into a Tony Pollard, and he's a useful guy and all that. I just struggle to see the point where if Tony Pollard is his absolute cap, that would be everything going perfectly, honestly. Yeah. Then that's not that much upside. However, I do think he's likely, especially if he goes on day three, which is the most likely scenario, going to be taken fairly late in your rookie draft. So I don't think he's a bad shot to take late. Of course, I think it's an interesting comparison. It's kind of funny we had both him and Harris on the same episode to me because they really did both dominate their divisions yeah. to a similar degree. Yeah. It's just very different. And the jump between the conference that Patterson was in at Buffalo, that jump to the NFL is so big compared to the SEC. He did not jump off the page as an incredibly impressive athlete, even in comparison to much worse competition that it's hard to project that he could hit the NFL and become like a Philip Lindsay, which I was really trying to reach for who's a guy who doesn't have great size, isn't used as a receiver, can make an impact. The difference between him and Lindsay is that Lindsay is faster. Other than that, mm-hmm. I see them quite similar. Like, I think he could be a Philip Lindsay. He just doesn't quite have the speed. He's kind of like a mix between Devin Singletary and Philip Lindsay. And in that sense, he needs to find a path to touches through a committee to really be relevant. Let's talk about some of these absolutely nasty statistics <laughs> that he put up at Buffalo because some of, them, game. some of them were crazy. Going through his player profile, he is 5'6 and 195 pounds. He is 21.3 years of age. So compared to the other two we'll be talking about today, he actually is 
coming out not as an upperclassman, very solid age. 21 is what you like to see. And I yeah. also think it totally makes sense for him because he's not going to improve upon the statistics he put up this year. This was the right year for him to come up for sure. At his pro day, he ran a 4.59. He has a 12th percentile speed score, not what you're looking for. An 11th percentile burst score, not what you're looking for. A 53rd percentile agility score. The difference, though, is that his college dominator rating is in the 97th percentile. His yards per carry is in the 95th percentile. Mm -hmm. His actual production, especially in comparison to his team and his competition, was pretty nuts. So he had three seasons where he broke out in 2018, but really it was in 2019 and 20 when he absolutely went nuts. So in 2018, he did have a breakout season with 183 rushing attempts. He had 1,013 yards, so he rushed for 5.5 yards per carry. He also had seven receptions for 62. Not used that frequently in the yeah. receiving game. Then in 2019, when he really put himself on the map as a potential NFL draft candidate, he had in 13 games, 312 rushing attempts. So he was used a lot for 1,799 yards and 20 touchdowns. And then he also had 13 receptions for 209 yards. That 5.8 yards per carry was pretty solid, but he expanded upon that in 2020. A lot of you probably heard about this guy at the time in 2020 because he had a few games where he absolutely lit the world on fire. So Buffalo only played six games this season. That division, it wasn't like Alabama. They didn't get their entire season like normal. Only in six games, he had 141 rushing attempts, 1,072 yards over those six games. So when you extrapolate that amount over six games, it's a crazy number. That's, yeah. He also had 7.6 yards per carry. He had 19 touchdowns over those six games, which is over three per game. Yeah, it's, it's, th it's three plus. That's ridiculous. And the time when I really saw his name on headlines is this year he had a game with over 400 rushing yards and eight touchdowns in one game. <laughs> That's insane. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That is a college football record. It is totally crazy. He was dominant of the competition every single game this year until the conference championship game. He didn't have his best game. He also didn't run as much, I think, because he was preparing for the NFL draft, etc. Weirdly, though, in 2020, he had zero receptions. He straight up was not used in the receiving yeah. game at all. He also wasn't asked to block that much, so they really we're just rushing him twice and taking him off for every third down. And because of that, we definitely can't project that he has that sort of third down upside in the NFL at all. It's tough when you're a bit undersized and you don't have that receiving upside to project that a team will commit enough of their rushing share to an undersized player yeah. like Jarrett Patterson. I wrote in my notes that he had good lateral agility. He's not super fast, but he is quicker than I expected. So he can get up to near his top speed very quickly. He's got good acceleration. He just isn't a next level explosive athlete. He has impressive patience at times, actually uses his vision to find holes that his great O-line created. And compared to their competition, Buffalo did have a very good O-line. I don't think that he's an incredible tackle breaker. It's probably because he doesn't quite have that size, but 
he was able to drive into tackles and I found that most of the time he was falling forward like there was a lot of times that those goal line opportunities where even if he was getting hit he was still keeping that momentum going forward even if he was going down he was still picking up that one or two yards it took to get some of those insane amount of touchdowns. Overall I just think he definitely profiles to me as someone who can contribute just not at a high-end level. So I Mm -hmm. think he's an NFL player. I think there's a good chance he's a backup, but it's probably like a Benny Snell backup. (sighs) And Toby doesn't like Benny Snell, so maybe that's... I'm not trying to disparage the guy. I just think he's a backup, and I don't think he has a lot of upside that even if he's a backup where his starter gets hurt in front of him, I don't think you're super excited to throw him in your fantasy lineup because he's not giving you any receptions, and realistically, he's not giving you any breakaway huge plays either. So it's tough to see him as a huge fantasy producer. Mm -hmm. When I was putting him in my rankings, I struggled between him and Jamar Jefferson. They're kind of in the same range for me. They're guys that do everything kind of well, but don't have that huge upside. I ended up putting Jamar Jefferson slightly ahead of him, mostly due to size, but both of these guys, assuming they don't go super early, I expect to be late round shots that you will take, assuming they're in a situation where you could see them being used in part of a committee. I think that is the ideal situation. Our third guy we're going to be talking about today, out of Virginia Tech, will talk to me about Khalil Herbert. Khalil Herbert was actually the hardest one for me to inform an opinion on. I have him ranked right now one spot below Jamar Jefferson, which I feel like is pretty fair. But I also feel that the more guys we talk about, the more it's going to be harder for me to move him around. Because Khalil Herbert, to me, is an interesting case of someone who, I mean, he doesn't have the absolute absence of statistics that Jarrett Patterson has in terms of the passing game, but his lack of production in the passing game is significantly worrying to me. I mean, it's remarkably small to the point that if you are an NFL team, you are not going to be throwing this guy the ball in his first year, which turns a fantasy. I hate that. I would say he's actually far more elusive than other scouting reports give him credit for. I saw him forcing missed tackles on the perimeter that I actually really enjoyed. I liked how he has a really great head fake and this one cut ability to turn a little bit on a dime and start sprinting in another direction. That's a really valuable asset to have as a running back. And he does have a pretty decent burst, which I did like. That's kind of it for his pros for me in terms of things that are worthwhile in speaking about, which puts him again in that same category of Jarrett Patterson in that he just doesn't have this huge X factor. He's not a big enough guy or big enough name then an NFL team is going to be taking a shot on them in the first or second round. No, won't be going super early. No. Will he go 3-4-5 is interesting to me. I could see him falling, and that's where it's more problematic, where he doesn't have any sort of statistical wherewithal to say, yeah, I'm a pass catcher, put me in, make me a scat back. And I think being a scat back might be what he's best at in terms of letting his one-cut and juke ability shine on the pitch, and I don't see that happening. So I have... Patterson slightly above him. Jermar Jefferson, another type of guy where well-rounded athlete, but not standing out in some way. And it's hard because I think Khalil Herbert, his nickname, as is the nickname of countless other footballers, is Juice. And he does bring the juice. He has some really elusive moments out there. He's difficult to bring down. It's hard to actually wrap him up. But once guys were hitting them, I did not see an amazing sense of contact balance. 
I did not see him blazing away from guys in terms of speed. So if he's able to make a fantasy impact, my current opinion is that he's not going to be at that until he gets a lucky break. And I never want to be counting on a lucky break for dynasty assets. So for that reason, he's right now bottom three people we've talked about. Yeah, so these, of course, we're talking about later, guys. I don't think he'll be a day two pick, ideally. He's round three, if he could sneak in, him or Jarrett Patterson, that would up their value. But I am expecting early day three for these guys, so Mm -hmm. we're definitely talking about later shots. There's a huge run of wide receivers that are likely to go in front of these type of guys that you're taking these guys in the late third, early fourth. That's the type of range, and that's also depending on landing spot. I am higher on Khalil Herbert than I am Jarrett Patterson. Okay. Mostly due to his size and his athleticism being a little bit better. Of course, he did not have the production that Jarrett Patterson is. But honestly, if I think about it and I switch the two players' teams, I think Khalil Herbert could do what Patterson did on Buffalo. So I'm trying to just look at the player as they profile to me and less so about the strict counting stats. So Khalil Herbert, he's 5'9 and 210, and that's what he weighed at at his pro day, so you can be confident in that those numbers are correct. An issue, though, that he shares with Najee Harris is that he's 23 years old. He has played in college for five whole seasons. At his pro day, he ran 4.50, which is pretty solid. I'm quite yeah. happy with that. That's got some burst and actually was a little bit better than I would have expected based off of tape, which shows that... He has a little bit more upside. Maybe he needs to be coached up a bit that maybe he's not hitting that top end speed in pads, but he can. He has that potential in his athletic profile. His college dominator rating was in the 52nd percentile, very average. Yards per carry, though, was in the 96th percentile at 7.6, so very good. He definitely has some upside, but I agree that he needs to find the right situation, which is what you were saying when you're talking about him getting a break, getting lucky. That luck could easily come at the draft, and you could know he's already hit the lucky break by the time you're making the pick on him in your rookie draft. All he needs is to find the situation where there is a clear path to touches. Again, like I said with Patterson, I think this is a guy who his most likely route to having any fantasy success is in some sort of committee. And Mm. both of these guys, I could see the ideal situation being something like San Fran, where you know that even in a committee, you can get some good production. But there's a lot of other situations too, where maybe he just gets a bit of work, but he's an injury away from getting a lot of work. That's the type of profile you are definitely looking for. So as I said, he had five years of production is a lot it is and in none of them was he rushing for 300 times a season that's not how that offense ran he missed a large amount of the 2019 season and even though he had an incredible yards per carry of 8.9 in that season i think that's the clear reason he did not come out last year and waited one more year he has been somewhat productive mostly as a backup or a committee type player as i was saying in college where he posted 663 yards in 2017, which is very solid. In only four games in 2019, he had 43 rushes for 384 yards, which yards per carry was 8.9. He had two touchdowns, only had one reception, but that was when he really put himself on the map of like, okay, 8.9 yards per carry in the ACC. He's really showing that he's got some skill here. And then in 2020, he did back that up, coming back from injury. In 11 games, he had 155 
rushes, so he was getting 14 or 15 a game. He had 1,183 rushing yards, which was 7.6 yards per carry. Nine touchdowns. He also had 10 receptions, which is his highest in any of his years for 179 yards. So he did need this extra season, his fifth year in college, to prove that he could stay healthy for a season. He could produce as long as he was on the field. And he has done that for two seasons now where he's put up a great yards per carry and he really has been productive. But that is the college level and it is a big jump to the NFL. Even though he tested well at his pro day, he isn't necessarily an elite difference maker. And what I see on tape is that he is kind of an average running back across the board. I don't think he has a huge weakness and you might bring up He wasn't used that much in the receiving game. And I would agree that sucks, especially for fantasy. He doesn't provide Mm -hmm. that upside that you're looking for, but I don't necessarily think he's incapable of doing so. It's just not how he was used very frequently in college. But when I look at him as a runner, he has quite good speed, quite good vision, quite good lateral agility, quite good acceleration, little bit of everything, but nothing that really separates him as an elite talent. I like his vision in the open field especially, and as I already mentioned, he doesn't seem super fast when he's breaking downfield, but Mm -hmm. that testing number of 4.5 is very solid, and if he can show that in pads, he might be able to have more big playability than he showed in college. He runs some very basic RB routes, but he really never saw targets for it. He also was used as a blocker, but wasn't necessarily the best blocker. I don't expect him to be a third down guy. I think the type of player he could be in the receiving game is like a Fournette, where he was better than Ronald Jones in the Bucks system, but he's not what you want as your pass catching running back. He's just a decent blocker. He kind of has okay hands, but he's nothing special in the receiving game at all. That's kind of what I see Khalil okay. Herbert as. Yeah. Unfortunately, he's not as good of a rusher as Leonard Fournette. No, not nearly. <laughs> no. As you mentioned, he's a one-cut runner, and I already mentioned them, but that always makes me think of San Francisco and the way that they run their zone offense and the fact that you just need to see that one hole, put a foot in the ground, get upfield. Yeah. That is the ideal situation that I think he could excel at. He could overtake someone like a Tevin Coleman's role and not miss a beat and have some production right away. I do think he's a bit scheme dependent. He is not going to excel in every situation. He needs to have enough draft capital that I see a path for where he could get some touches. But I do think I'm higher on him than you seem to be. I just like him as a runner in the fact that even if he's not elite, I think he can be an average guy, someone who floats around the league maybe a little bit as like a journeyman backup. Carlos Hyde. That type of player. And if you're picking up a guy like that at 23 and he can contribute on his rookie contract for a few seasons, even if he's just like a Josh Kelly last year, that's a guy that's worth having on your roster. Even in the fact that people in front of him are hurt, he could see significant production. That's kind of the type of guy I'm talking about. I wouldn't be surprised if he falls into day three and he is on a team where there's a clear starter in front of him and you just think, okay, well, he's a clear backup. I see more upside elsewhere. He could fall pretty far to the point that I would be pretty happy to get him at extreme value. In terms of ranking him, I saw him very similar as how I saw Kylan Hill. I ended up putting Hill a little bit above him because I think there's a small amount more of ceiling to Kylan Hill, but that's the area where I'm in. And of course, All of these guys, besides the top few, the draft is going to change their value significantly. So 
any of these guys could jump up significantly or pretty much fall to irrelevance as we saw someone like Eno Benjamin do as he went all the way in the seventh round last year. That was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was. That's it for the rookie spotlight segment of this episode, though. Next, as always, we are going to get into our Dynasty Buy of the Week. Easy money. I will put the rules of this game in the description below if you are a new listener, but why don't we just get right into it? I have given Toby five hints for the player that all of you need to go out and buy this week. Hint number one is that last year, this player was the wide receiver 34. (laughs) I'll admit, I don't have these memorized. (laughs) C.D. Lamb. It's not C.D. Lamb. If I could get him for even moderately cheap, I would love to go buy him. I'm wondering, I'm interested to know if he's even close to wide receiver 34 or if I'm completely off. But I'll think about that later. I can't look that up. I'm not 100% sure. Hint number two is, as a 27-year-old in 2020, this player scored eight touchdowns and had a yards per reception of 18.67. Okay, so he's a guy who's running a lot of deep routes. Um, Robbie Anderson. No, not Robbie Anderson. I would guess Robbie Anderson did a little better than 34, but I don't know. After this career year in 2020, this player signed in free agency to a new team, which made him the fourth most money of any free agent wide receiver in this offseason. So of all the wide receivers that signed, he made the fourth most money, and he's on a new team. Finished wide receiver 34. High yards per reception. Kenny Galladay. He's signed for the most of any wide receiver. By a lot. Yeah. We're talking fourth most. <laughs> also, Kenny Galladay was hurt for almost all last year, so I'm sure That's he did worse I than thought, 34. Yeah, right. I th- I'm sure he was lower than that. Okay, hint number four is, very surprisingly, the veteran quarterback that will be throwing this receiver the ball this season ranked number one in deep target passer rating in the second half of 2020, completing 10 of 16 attempts for 314 yards. So this quarterback that is now going to be throwing this player the ball was very surprisingly quite good deep. I have thought of a player like I think would be a good dynasty buy, but you might make fun of me if, or you might be thinking of the same guy. But I think that is referring to Derek Carr. So I'm going to go with Nelson Aguilar. You're right, but you kind of got there in the wrong way, which is hilarious. Derek, but, Derek Carr was lighting yeah, it up at the end. The of hint it. was about his new quarterback. He is now in the Patriots, and the number one ranked deep ball was by Cam Newton, who was his new quarterback on the Patriots. The number one ranked deep yeah. ball was Cam Newton? Yeah. That's okay, why I said well, one, I just definitely misheard you, and <laughs> through an absolute stroke of luck got there. Cam Newton can't throw a ball past like 20 yards. Well, he only had 16 attempts deep. He completed 10 of those because he was very successful in hitting guys like Jacoby Myers downfield. So yeah, I was shocked to see it. But Cam Newton, throughout his early career, he wasn't necessarily the most efficient guy, but he was good at hitting deep targets. He always has been up there. And that has continued even into 2020, where it looks like his arm is completely shot. He's still hitting the rare deep targets that he is throwing. And obviously, Nelson Aguilar is going to be running some deep routes. My final hint was that now that Edelman is retired, this player profiles as his new team's number one wide receiver. Nelson Aguilar. Because who is his competition? You have Jacoby Myers. You have Kendrick Bourne, who signed on the same day. You have Nikhil Harry. 
and that's really about it. They also have odd collection of guys. It is weird. They also did pick up both Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry, who I could see being up there in the target distribution. But Nelson Aguilar, I think, has a huge negative association attached to his name from his days in Philly in terms of dropping the ball and everything like that and just not being an effective receiver. He was great with the Raiders. (laughs) He was really good last year. And I think that name value creates some value where I'm not looking at him to be someone I'm super excited to put in my lineup. I also don't see him as a guy that in three years is very productive. But I think this year, even if they draft a rookie, which I don't expect them to do, early, maybe round two, there's a very good chance that Nelson Aguilar is the number one receiver on this team. I don't think Cam Newton is quite as bad as a passer as everyone is saying. Also, at 15, or maybe if they trade up, they might have a rookie quarterback who's going to be even better at throwing the ball downfield. So that is absolutely in the range of possibilities as well. I just think you can get him very cheap. Extremely. Much lower than someone like the wide receiver 34. Probably he's ranked as like the wide receiver 60 or 70 would be my guess. That's probably how people value him. And even if he is not supremely productive, he's the type of guy that can fill in for bye weeks, etc. And you can hit on these deep targets every once in a while. I do think he will surprise people with his production 2021. He's just a very cheap option who right now is a wide receiver one, but no one is ranking him as a wide receiver one. He is just completely forgotten because of the memes all the way back in Philadelphia of the guy catching the baby, unlike Aguilar. Unlike Aguilar. Stuff Stuff like that. It's just, Aguilar is kind of a joke, but he's not that bad. Go watch his tape from, like, go watch an Aguilar highlights He was a lot better than Henry Ruggs last year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I just think he could be productive for you in 2021, and he's too cheap right now. That's why he's my dynasty buy of the week. I buy it. So make sure you keep up with everything we've got going on on Twitter, at Deep Dive Dynasty. We're getting very close to the draft, and I will absolutely be live tweeting all my reactions as they happen on those three days. I cannot wait for it. That is our episode this week. Next week, our final episode of the Rookie Spotlight series, we're going to finally be talking about Devonta Smith, and we've got a couple other lower-ranked wide receivers, just like we did today, that we're going to be getting into as well. I look forward to it. Can't wait to have you all listening in then. And that's it from us, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Peace out. Have a good one.